Hi, everybody. This is Kara Fitzgerald at New Frontiers in Functional Medicine. I would not be here month in and month out for the past six years without the generous support of our sponsors. And I want to tell you about them and please check out their websites and check their products out. Biotics Research. For over 40 years, the foundation of biotics research has been innovation and quality. Their goals remain unchanged. Innovative ideas, carefully researched concepts, and product development with advanced analytical and manufacturing techniques. Biotics nutritional products are of superior quality and effectiveness and available exclusively to healthcare professionals. Visit them at bioticsresearch.com. Integrative Therapeutics. Integrative Therapeutics is focused on inspiring a better lifestyle through better health. By providing meticulously formulated nutritional supplements and valuable resources, Integrative Therapeutics promises to enrich your patients and embolden your practice. Welcome to your Integrative Therapeutics. Find them at integrativepro.com. And finally, I want to give a shout out to my friends over at Rupa Health. They make lab testing easy, fabulous, doable for both you, the clinician, and you, the person being prescribed the lab, the patient. Consider using Rupa as just a super, super, super smart solution to all your laboratory needs. Visit them at rupahealth.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine. And today I have one of the very, very, very best and one of my First podcasts, um, this is Dr. Keith McCormick, and we talked back in 2015. Let me give you his background and why I'm absolutely honored and thrilled and excited to have him with me today. Uh, Dr. McCormick is a board-certified chiropractic physician in the states of Massachusetts, Colorado, and California. He's been in clinical practice since 1982. He earned his bachelor's from Stanford and his doctorate from the National College of Chiropractic. He is an instrument-rated commercial pilot and a Army veteran. Sports have always been a big part of his life. At Stanford, he competed on the varsity cross-country and fencing teams. As a junior, he was the silver medalist in the 1973 Modern Pentathlon World Champions Championships. He competed and succeeded in a whole lot of other events, but really one of the crowning moments, I think, actually, you're continuing to compete, Dr. McCormick, but he was in the 1976 uh, Olympics in Montreal. Uh, he was part of the modern pentathlon team. And uh, he is also a former U.S. record holder, the most, most points scored in a pentathlon competition. Dr. McCormick continues to compete in triathlons of all distances and has competed, completed six Ironman competitions, five of them after recovering from multiple osteoporosis-related fractures. I want to add to this bio before I welcome you. Uh, it was this journey. I want. I, I know this about Keith. Keith is a friend of mine, and, and as I said, we podcast. We've podcasted before. Um, this this incredible sports journey that continues to be a huge part of his life um, that brought him to his own experience with severe osteoporosis, and maybe we'll touch on that a little bit. Um, but focused his career, and he's. He's the leading, I'm not even going to say one of, he's the leading physician in the functional integrative space and really beyond thinking about osteoporosis from a, through a systems lens, through a systems functional lens. His first book was this slim volume, a whole body approach to osteoporosis. I pulled it off my shelf. It's dog-eared. I've, I've, I've 
folded tabs. I've highlighted it. I've got, you know, notes in here. I use this in clinical practice. Uh, I've re recommended it to other physicians over the years, many, many times. And, and I recommended it to, I've recommended it to patients for years. He recently updated it with this 700 page volume that is a must for us as providers. This has got to be sitting on our shelves. This will become dog-eared in my practice um, as just a brilliant update on this book. Uh, and it's also written in plain language. So this is something that, uh, you know, regular folks who have osteoporosis or have some kind of a, a, a bone loss issue or are working, you know, have a loved one with it. This is a book that they can access and use as well. Um, so I value your friendship. I just value your brilliance, your commitment to the science. I mean, I, we go back to when I was in my postdoc in the lab. So many, so many years we go back. Um, well, we met in Georgia 20 years ago or something. <laughs> long time ago. Welcome once again, Dr. McCormick, to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine. Thanks for having me, Karen. Appreciate so, it. So, yeah, absolutely. We're going to dive into all the your, your thinking on, on uh, bone loss and how we want to work with it as clinicians, but I just, just tell me a little bit about your story, your incredible story, which, and you continue to compete as really as intensely. And, and you just mentioned to me earlier that you're 69 and, you know, clearly so, so healthy, but you resolved your own osteoporosis, but tell me a little bit, and then we'll just jump into the book. Well, I, I've been running and swimming and doing everything since I was five years old. That's been my, my life is athletics. And when I turned 45, I started breaking, had a lot of, had like 12 fractures in five years, and I've had probably 22 fractures in my life, something like that. And um, so I went to several uh, endocrinologists, five of them to be exact, and they just wanted to put me on drugs. And I said, no, I can't, can't do that. Just got to figure this out. I didn't, I'm, and I said, I'm 45 years old. Am I supposed to, I'm going to live to 90? Am I going to take drugs for 45 years? It didn't make sense to me. So yeah. I knew I just had to totally immerse myself in figuring this thing out. And that's what I did. I just, I just plunged into it headlong and um, figured out a lot of things and wrote these two books. And yep, I'm still competing and I don't fracture. And um, uh, I, I, you, people can do a lot more than they, than they think they can. And that's why I wrote Great Bones, the new book, the way I did. I, I wanted it to bridge this gap between the public, the layperson, and the doctor. Because doctors need to know a little bit more about this disorder. And the layperson needs to know how to interact with their doctor, Num number one. Number two, how to even understand the complexity of this thing. And yes, the book's a little complex in certain places. And uh, you have to wade through it. and uh, things out and maybe not read certain things if it's too complex. But mm -hmm. I think what it does is arm the patient with a way to communicate better with their physician. Well, and it arms the physician with an approach to osteoporosis. I mean, there's just no question about it. I, I, I'll use it in my practice, just as I used your original volume, which was you know, a quarter of the size, but still very smartly written, very actionable. Um, you're not anti-medication, and we'll talk about that. But before we do, you know, who's at risk for osteoporosis, and what are the risk factors? 
everyone. You know, there, there's all these risk factors that people, that doctors usually have in their head, you know, underweight, uh, female, um, you know, people who take medications, you know, there's lots of risk. Non-athletes, sedentary. Non so you blew all those up. That's right. So, but I had osteoporosis and I never took a drug. I was an athlete all my life. I drank milk off the wazoo. I mean, I, I was hooked on milk. Um, you know, I did everything right and I still got it. So I don't even pay attention to risk factors. I, everybody should be assessed for, for bone loss and, and bone densities, bone density exams aren't perfect, but they're sure worth doing. And, uh, they're non-invasive, they're cheap, they're, they're simple to do. Uh, everybody should have a bone density, you know, at least by the time they're 50, 55 years old. Okay. All of us by 55 at the latest, 50. Um, what, I mean, it, does family history flat? Yeah, go ahead. You find out you have low bone density, the, the more you can do about it. If you yeah. don't find out till you're 70 or 80, it's a lot harder to deal, to do, to gain it back. If you find out when you're 45, like I did, yeah. it, was, it was great. You know, I still had time to, to improve upon. I wish I would have known a lot more. It took me five years to get up and running because I had to educate myself. But, but it would have been better for me to find out at 40. Sure. But, or in your case, you probably were showing up with bone loss even earlier if you fractured. I'm sure I was. At 45. And the reason why is because, uh, number one, I was gluten sensitive. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. not celiac. Uh, but also, I just trained really, really hard. And I was low weight and uh, probably didn't get enough protein. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I trained when I was training really hard, I trained probably 14 to 16 hours a day. I mean, it was all day long for years and years and years. That was okay. my professional athlete. So it, it, you know, when you do that, totally immersing yourself, it, it is, it does build up a lot of oxidative stress, a lot of increase in pro-inflammatory cytokines. And I'm sure that fueled my osteoclast to break down bone. Right. But I do want to point out, as you and I were just talking about offline, that you're still engaging in Ironman uh, triathlons. You're still doing it. You're still out there. You said you just came from a half marathon in the, or, or a half Ironman, and then you went and did a marathon six days later. You just told me that. So you are working out like, you know, way on the other side of the bell curve, but you're fine now and you're healthy. But, you're just doing it smart. You're yes, great. I'm smart, but I'm doing it yeah. smart. You know, totally different than what I used to do. Yeah. That's another conversation, as I said to you then, but I would just love to understand how you're doing it, how you're doing very intense athletics on the, you know, almost 70 with, you know, such vibrant health. I, it's just, it's awesome. And your bones are intact and strong. And it's just, it's really, it's very inspirational for, for me. And I know it will be for other people as well. It's so, so, so cool. I mean, we have this, I think, inappropriate belief that doing, uh, intense athletics doing all you know ultra athletics um can be damaging and in a certain population or doing them inappropriately as, as as you were early on in your career can is damaging but you know you figured out how to do it right and someone's got to mind that gold maybe it will be me um all right so what are the what are the what are the best diagnostic imaging tools for uh bone health bone status there are so many laboratory tests that are uh, they don't even, I think there's so many that we don't even realize how many we have available to us. So okay. number one, everybody has the bone density and yep. 
And that's for the, so bone strength is a combination of density and quality. And a bone density exam only does bone density. So there's bone quality too. 50% of the bone strength is quality. And we don't even know what that is. I have patients that are negative 3.0 and they break. And I have other sort of negative 4.5 and they don't break. And they don't. Yeah. So define that. So how do we figure it out? Well, the, the, there's a few ways. The trabecular bone score is a good way to go, but that's okay. only one little aspect of quality and that's trabecular connectivity. So a TBS or trabecular bone score, there's not very many of them available, but, and it's not a, it's not a test. It's a computer add-on to a DEXA. So there's only like in Massachusetts where I am, there's only like 10 or 12 of them, but you have to call up the hospital and talk to radiology and say, hey, does your DEXA have TBS capability? So what they do is they just analyze the, the bone density results with a computer and they're, they're looking at the grayscale, the pixel grayscale of the trabecula to see if they're connected. So if you have disconnected trabecula, it's degraded. It's a, it's a degraded quality of bone, which increases your fracture risk. So that's probably the number one way to look at quality. Number two is certain labs. And that is, I use a lot of bone turnover labs. The, the, the main bone resorption lab uh, test I use is C-telopeptide. You can also use N-telopeptide. It's just the N-telopeptide, C-telopeptide are similar in that they're just uh, opposite ends of the collagen molecule that, that you're testing for. And um, when that number is high, that says the osteoclast are hyperaggressive and breaking down too much bone. And we get a lot of bone collagen then uh, running around in our blood. Or if they do, a person can do an NTX, N-telopeptide, and that's either urine or blood. But in order of uh, accuracy, I would say this, the spot uh, urine NTX is the worst. The 24-hour urine NTX is a little bit better. The serum NTX is better, much better. And then the blood uh, CTX is the best. And that's what that's I use. Awesome. Um, and that's available. I mean, that's available through our standard insurance covered. Yeah, from Quest. Yeah. There's a CTX. And then for bone formation, uh, I use P1NP. I used to use osteocalcin, but that's a really squirrely test and doesn't, doesn't, not that accurate. It's really, really, really affected by food and time of day and stuff. Um, I mean, so, so is CTX. So let me say one thing about CTX. Yeah. The reason why people, a lot of physicians don't use these turnover markers is because they're frustrating because you have to do them exactly right. So the CTX, the only way you're going to get accurate results is the person, the patient needs to be fasting. They needs to, they need to go to the lab first thing in the morning because if there's a huge difference between um, seven o'clock and even eleven o'clock, it just really decreases in in its levels throughout the day. It, it's it, it's high to three in the morning. It's the lowest in three in the afternoon. Interesting. Uh, and then no biotin and no collagen for 48 hours before. Good. So, I was going to ask you about collagen, but biotin also. It's one of those labs that just is influenced negatively by biotin. And then for P1NP, which is called pro-collagen type 1 N-terminal propeptide, it is uh, much better than osteocalcin for bone formation, so osteoblastic activity. And I use that not on every patient. I use CTX on every patient. But, but the reason why I use... Uh, P1NP is 
if let's say if a person is going to do a anabolic drug such as Forteo or Timlos or Somosab, yeah. you want to make sure that these drugs are working 5% of the time they don't work. So it'd be silly to do, uh, you know, teriparatide, which is Forteo, uh, for two years, the person's injecting themselves every day. And then two years later, you find out, oops, it didn't work. Wrong drug. <laughs> so, so how do you figure that out? So you make sure you get a baseline P1 and P. Three months into it, you do a repeat P1 and P, and it should be up a lot. So if, if they had a baseline 40 for P1 and P, it should be up to at least a 60 or 70. That's and awesome. If it's not, then you know it's not working. You got to switch to something else. Then I, do, I continue to do it, especially at 18 months. I do that P1NP again, because if it's back down to 40, I know that the, the teriparatide isn't working anymore. And that happens. It loses its own after about 18 months. If it's still up, if the P1P is still high, then continue for the full two years. Okay. I want to just ask you a couple of questions on that. That's, that's so, so helpful. Um, is there an optimal reference range for either of these or are you relying on the lab ranges are those comfortable for you don't rely on the lab ranges they're terrible so okay. <laughs> the peptide i think it's between 36 and 136 or, or, or at a thousand thirty six something crazy like that so no uh, a good reference range for ctx is mm -hmm. oh between 300 and 400 250 and 400 so okay. i start losing bone at around 350 CTX. Uh, if a person's on a medication that, that uh, like a bisphosphonate or prolia, that will bring it down to 100, maybe 50, even below 50, which I don't like. But um, you can, because a lot of these drugs can oversuppress the osteoclast and that causes other issues. Uh, so I, I watch their CTX. I watch their bone-specific alkaline phosphatase for oversuppression. And, um, but yeah, it, uh, you have to keep doing these markers to see what's happening. As the drugs can work, they can, they can work too much. Uh, another example, and I hope, sorry to keep getting- No, uh, go, 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 go. This is really helpful. Not the medications, but like for Prolia, um, Prolia has, has issues in that it's, it's, it's good in building bone density and bone quality, but if it works too much, if it works too well, then when you stop, it's very difficult to not have a rebound in bone loss. And so I usually don't recommend that people take Prolia for more than, and so Prolia is a, what's called a rankle inhibitor. So a receptor activator for nuclear factor capital B inhibitors and antibody against that. And rankle is a direct stimulator of the osteoclast. So if, you, if it's an inhibitor, you directly take away that inhibition, uh, that, that stimulation of the osteoclast, osteoclast, it comes down. But Prolia is an injection every six months. So at six months, you need to do another injection because there's about a 210% variability in Prolia's actions on people. In other words, some people, it works for five months, some six months, some seven months, some eight months, some even nine months. But if you're a five month person and you don't, and you miss your next injection and don't get it till seven months or eight months, you're gonna be losing bone during that time. So you really gotta do it every six months. But if you do it too long, so Prolia has this nasty, uh, part about it where what it does is it doesn't kill the osteoclast like a bisphosphonate does. 
it shrinks down these osteoclasts, makes them into these osteomorphs that are just quiescent, uh, shrunk down osteoclasts. As soon as you stop prolia, those, all those uh, osteomorphs burst out. Then we have tons and tons and tons of active osteoclasts uh, running around. And that's why a rebound happens and you break down bone. So immediately, and the longer a person's on prolia, the, the more it works, the, the, the better its response. And that's why when patients say, oh, good, I responded really well to prolia. And I go, yeah, a little too much. Because a really good response to prolia means that there'll probably be even a worse rebound afterwards. Wow. And so you have to do reclass after you're done. And the longer you're on prolia, the harder it is to stop that rebound. But you have to do reclass. And on the reclass, you, uh, like, let's say the person did, I usually don't recommend more than three in injections of prolia, uh, but after that six months of prolia, you check the CTX. And this is all written in my book. It's a little mm -hmm. but because um, you want to make sure that that CTX starts rising a little bit because you have to do a reclass, or, which is called zoledronic acid, after prolia. Otherwise, you can't use Fosamax or Actinel because it's not strong enough to prevent that rebound. You do the reclass, but you have to make sure that there's some activity in that in, in the osteoclast for the reclass to be absorbed. So, but I spell that all out in the book because it is a good. Yeah, yeah, it was so important though. Let's talk, all right, I want, we will, I'm assuring everybody listening, we're going to get to natural interventions and we're gonna talk about how those affect, you know, how we do, put together a good bone density protocol and, you know, all of that and how they influence labs. I wanna, I wanna talk about all of that, but, but since we're talking about the medications, um, and you do think, I mean, depend. you can, well, who is a good candidate for meds and, and how, how do you stratify, you know, what, what drug for a given individual? Well, you know, it's so important to understand that this is not about drugs. This is not about nutrition and exercise. This is about everything. And that's yeah. what you look at it is. I have so many patients that are negative 4.5 or 5.5, negative 5.0, negative 6.0. It's like, we're not going to get away with this for just doing nutrition. It's not going to happen. So many, and, but I have other patients that are negative 2.5, negative 3.0 that are fine with just doing nutrition. Even if yep. they have, a, it doesn't mean they have to do a drug. There's lots of factors that go into this. And mm -hmm. so yes, every single person is an individual and every single person has to be looked at or, okay, yeah, I think, you know, it's okay to not do a medication here or no way they have to do a medication. But all during that time, they're doing a medication and usually medication Plus. only or three years or something that we use it. And then they're, then they're off of it. But all during that three years, we're making them better. We're making yeah. them healthier. And then, me, medication, then they're okay, usually. Okay. And, I, and we'll talk about all of that. And I want to hear your drugs. But I, 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 before you go into that, like, when do you, like, if you've got fabulous trabecular strength, that's right. You know, what kind of number is going to flag you for no med required? Like how low can you go where you're not, where, where you don't need to prescribe a med versus when are you going to use it? You know, there's just hundreds of variabilities right okay. there. Okay. So I can't say a number, but I would say in general, if they're over, a, you know, negative 3.4 and they have trabecular, uh, you know, disconnect, 
they're going on a medication. Okay. Okay. By the way, folks, in his book, Keith has a lot of case studies. So, and he, and you actually do really, really beautiful examples. I was looking in the genetics chapter and you just outlined a, a, a few different scenarios, but there's plenty of cases so that you can see this, his thinking in action in the book. Um, so when somebody decides, some, when somebody goes, needs to, re requires medication, what, what are the ones that you're thinking about um, if you're, if you can influence that decision? They, all these drugs, there's probably only 10 different drugs or so. There's not that many to figure out. So, but they all have different abilities and different risks and um, different applications. So there's four bisphosphonates, essentially. There's Actinel and Fosamax, which are oral. Uh, they give you maybe one or 2% of bone density a year. Remember, just bone density, no bone quality. Uh -huh. uh, there's which I don't even want to talk about, abandonate because it's terrible and it just causes people all kinds of adverse effects. So I never, ever, ever recommend that. Uh -huh. And then the class, which is zoledronic acid, gives you three to 4% a year bone density. And that's an infusion. So one year infusion. And I think that's great for somebody who has a high C2 peptide. I can't get it down. So, so for example, if yeah. somebody in and they have a negative 3.2 and their CTLA peptides and 900, which is pretty high. And going back to your question about reference ranges, yep. uh, the 900 in the reference range that they give looks normal. Well, it's not. They're, they're losing bone at 900 for sure. Probably I'm not going to get that 900 down to 350 with just nutrition. I'm probably not. There's just too much going on. There's genetics involved in this, and I'm not going to get it down. If they have a 500, for sure, I'm going to probably get that 500 down to 300 or 350 with just doing nutrition, which is a big deal because anything over 350, they're losing bone. So I'm taking them from losing bone to not losing bone and, and, and much healthier without doing drugs. But if they're way up at 800, 900, 1,000, they, we're not going to get it down. Um, some of the things that do bring it down pretty easily are alpha-lipoic acid and acetylcysteine, berberine. Um, you know, getting rid of other things in their diet, making sure they're not losing uh, calcium in their urine, making sure their their um, their pH of their bodies, you know, better. You know, the more acidic they are, the the worse things are. So, but those are the bisphosphonates. They're, that's the pretty simple way to go. But if the person has a lot of degradation of, of trabecula and they have really bad bone density, it's not the way to go. I had a patient the other day, and she was a negative four point five. De you know, degradation of her tubercula and her physician prescribed her, I think, Fosamax. Yeah, Fosamax. And I go, whoa, that's not good enough here, you know. Um, then there's Prolia. Prolia gives people about 5 or 6% of bone density a year. Like I said, it's a, what's called a rankle inhibitor. And um, it does give a little bit of bone quality. It does great on hips. It's probably what my favorite of a person who has really poor hip score. If they, have a, if they have low abundance in their spine and okay in their, in their um, uh, hip, then a bisphosphonate is fine. But if they have low, low bone density in their spine and you know, negative 3.3 and you know, 3.4 in their hip, you got to do prolia. That's much better. You know, do that for you know, one and a half to two years, then back it up with reclass. Um, if they have a lot of degradation though uh, and not too bad of hips, Forteo, which is called teriparatide, and Timlos, which is called abiloparatide, are a really good way to go. They give you 8 to 10% of bone density in two years or in a year and a half. And they do great at rebuilding 
quality trabecula. The problem is with them, they don't do great on the hip. I've even seen them decrease people's forearm because remember when you look at somebody with a parathyroid issue or hyper, uh, primary hyperparathyroidism, you look mm -hmm. at their forearm and the forearm bone density is usually really low. The reason why is because parathormone attacks cortical bone. Well, even though teriparatide and aboparatide, you're doing a daily injection. And even though the parathormone level, so this is, an, is a, a um, parathyroid analog, uh, recombinant DNA parathyroid analog that these are, it's only rises about an hour every day. For, you, know, you inject it, it's, it increases in the bloodstream for an hour, and then it's gone. So usually it stimulates the osteoblast, the osteoblast and stimulate the osteoclast to, to, to build up. So both osteoblastic, osteoclastic are increased, but sometimes it lingers and now it degrades the cortical bone too, mm -hmm. hip and in the forearm. So sometimes the forteo and timos don't do a great job in the forearm or the, or the hips. So you got to be really careful. So and you're going to, I'm assuming you're going to follow up with a, with a bone density, with a DEXA and a TBS. In a year. No yeah. doubt. Got to yeah. do that to make sure we're not screwing up something else. We're not, yeah, we're not improving the, the spine yet hurting the person's hips. That would be terrible. Right, so, right. Um, and then the final drug I'll talk about, well, the HRT is hormone. I'm a really big uh, estrogen proponent. I think it does mm -hmm. so many good things that, uh, anyhow, um, uh, the what's called romosomazob or ebenity is the final one I'll talk about. And that is what's called a sclerostin inhibitor. It's an antibody against sclerostin. Sclerostin is produced by the osteocytes and it, um, it produces sclerostin. Sclerostin uh, uh, decreases the osteoblastic activity. So romosomazob is an antibody against sclerostin. So it takes the sclerostin away allows the osteoblasts to do their job. I've seen really good results with, with romosomosab. It's uh, incredibly expensive, I think like 100,000 a year. So, so insurance <laughs> usually won't um, uh, okay it unless a person has at least a negative 4.0 and multiple fractures. But it does give people 10 to 12% bone density a year in their spine, and maybe five or 6% in their hips. So it does a pretty good job. Uh, it's only given for a year. It's a once a month injection. You follow it up with a bisphosphonate, or, well, Corlea or, or bisphosphonate. So they're the drugs. Okay, good. And, they're, and you cover them all in the book. Here's the book, Great Bones. <laughs> it's a great book. We'll link to the book and, and um, we'll link to your website. Um, you have supplements and you have a clinic. Are you, are you accepting referrals at the clinic? I know you're busy. Are you? Okay. Amazing. I, I've sent people your way many times. Um, all right. So let's talk about the, the nutrition and the supplements again, and the lifestyle and the exercise prescription, et cetera. Let's talk about the rest of the story. Um, maybe, I mean, we could cover both if it's I mean, like, well, we, let's cover your foundational protocol, maybe with an eye towards, you know, the individual who doesn't need meds let's say they're right at the they're right there at the threshold so let's say they have a pretty aggressive osteoporosis but they're adamant that they don't want to do they don't want to go the med route and you think okay I, I i might be able to do this so it's a pretty aggressive like like walk me through what that kind of protocol looks like i know it's individualized but you know i'm, I'm curious what you're doing for somebody well, I, there 
I do labs. I always do the core, a core based uh, set of labs. I do a CTX, uh -huh. C1NP, if I'm thinking about drugs for the person, for sure, 24 hour urine calcium. I want to know, number one, if they're losing too much calcium, and number two, if, if they're getting enough calcium in, in their diet. You know, this isn't about calcium. I think you kind of understand that, that it's, you know, osteoporosis isn't about calcium, but calcium is important, you know? Yes. They come back with a 50 on the 24 hour urine calcium. And I think, well, maybe, maybe they're just not, you know, absorbing or getting enough in their diet, you know? Um, I do. What's an acceptable, what's an acceptable number on the 24 hour urine calcium? I like 100 to 225. Okay. So, um, uh, for, uh, then homocysteine, homocysteine is so easy to fix on people. I don't, um, I, I, I get homocysteine on everybody. If, if it's above 12, 15, then it will, uh, increase osteoclastic activity and increase the, uh, the cross-linked, um, stiffness in the collagen fibers. So that makes for bone to be stiffer and therefore more prone to fracture. So it's a quality issue and it's easy to fix. So um, HSCRP, sensitive C-reactive protein I get. Just a, you know, you get HSCRP, you go from one to a three and that person has twice the fracture risk of anybody. Wow. So it's, a, it's a big deal. It really doesn't, yeah. same with homocysteine. You get up to 20 on homocysteine, they have a three to four times fracture risk. So these are easy markers to bring down. And I think that's, that's what I really want to push to tonight, you know, in this interview, because it's laboratory tests. Don't wait for bone densities every two years. You look at labs, you can do them every four to six months, and you say, okay, yep, I've just increased this person's, decreased this person's HSCRP. I've just decreased their homocysteine. I've just improved their NLR ratio, their neutrophil lymphocyte ratio. I've done all these things. I know I'm on the right track, you know? And then you know, you know, that what you're doing is, is helping. Healthcare providers have trusted Dutch for years to discover the root cause of hormone-related issues with actionable results backed by peer-reviewed and validated research. New research in the November edition of the journal Menopause now shows that dried urine testing is also effective for monitoring hormone replacement therapy. This exciting new study is one of the many validated papers Dutch relies on to help providers navigate tough treatment decisions with confidence. Learn more about Dutch testing and our commitment to following the science at dutchtest.com research. Hey there, listeners. It's your host, Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. I have a question for you. How much time do you spend ordering functional lab tests for your patients? I bet it's a lot. Ordering from multiple lab companies for hundreds of patients can quickly turn into hours of admin time. But there's a new way to order lab tests I'm excited to share with you. Rupa Health is a tool that lets you order from over 30 specialty labs in a single portal. You can order all the tests you normally do from companies like Dutch, Vibrant, Genova, and Great Plains, and so many more. Imagine you're ordering a hormone panel for a patient that includes tests from three different labs. 
you have to log onto three different websites, place separate orders, come back weeks later to check on tracking numbers, download results, et cetera, et cetera. Rupa eliminates all of that by having all ordering, tracking results in a single place. And they also handle invoicing, uh, tracking shipments, automated follow-ups, personalized instructions for completing tests, and much more. The best part about Rupa is that it is free for you. Go to rupahealth.com, that's R-U-P-A health.com, and join a live demo or sign up to see how it works. Now let's get back to today's show. What else do I do? I do, uh, a lot of times I do a DHEAS. Um, I, in women, I, I'm thinking maybe doing estrogen. I definitely get a sensitive estradiol on them. Uh, pretty much everybody with a lot of bone density loss, I get a gluten panel. Uh, I get anti-tissue transglutaminase IgA, total IgA, anti-gliadin antibodies IgG and IgA. I get those on every, most, most everybody. Um, what else do I get? Vitamin D, of course. I like it to be at, at minimum, minimum at 35, but probably 40 to 60 nanograms per mL. I, I don't push for 70, 80. I don't think that's helpful. Um, um, I think that's about, oh, I do serum protein electrophoresis and people I'm a little bit worried about, a little bit older, uh, and you always get that. Um, and that's about it. But then from those, I look for things like, uh, does this person have um, parathyroid issue? And, and let's just address that one because that's kind of like a big deal. I probably see a parathyroid person every week. Okay. Uh, very common. And um it's often the person that is a 10.0 on their total serum calcium and their, and their PTH is a 52, which both of those are normal numbers. The, the reference range for PTH is I think 15 to 63 usually depending on the reference range. So 52, 55, the clinician that they're seeing says, hey, everything's fine. 10.0, 10.1, that's fine but it's not fine a lot of times. And as you know, PTH can, and serum calcium can go up and down depending on the, on the day. So yeah. I do lots of, of serum calcium and PTHs. There are a lot of parathyroid uh, people out there that aren't being identified and that will decrease their bone density for sure. Uh -huh. uh, so you really got to figure that out. The 24-hour urine calcium, same thing. There's a lot of people who, number one, are losing uh, serum cal uh, calcium in their urine and aren't identified. And then there's a whole other group of people that are on uh, uh, hydrochlorothiazide by their physician because they did a 24-hour urine calcium when they were taking supplemental calcium. And now, you know, they're taking supplemental calcium during the collection of urine. And so they have a 400. And so it looks like they have hypercalciuria and they don't. They were just yeah. taking the supplement. Or they could be drinking a fortified That's plant right. milk, right? I mean, those are other, like the fortification is so rampant. That's right. We're they're probably unwittingly, you know, consuming. Now, now they're identified as a hypercalciuria person. And yeah. put on, um, I've seen many, many, many of those. Um, wow. But uh, I guess. Um, and the SPEP, can you just go circle back to that? The serum protein electrophoresis just. I'm just trying to rule out MGUS and uh, yeah. MGUS um, doesn't necessarily lead to uh, bone loss, 
but it's certainly you know something you have to be aware of for multiple myeloma. So, yep. and, and I see that sometimes I probably had four cases of that. So I want to make sure I'm not not missing, missing it. Yeah. Every single case of osteoporosis doesn't mean it's osteoporosis. It could be something else causing bone loss, and that's the the issue you really have to be uh, so aware of. Person comes in with osteoporosis. You got to rule out everything. You know, it can be something else. I, I've I've had um, three patients now with hypophosphatasia. I mean, I remember, you know, reading. Oh, you'll never see hyperphosphatasia. <laughs> I I do. Ehlers Danlos syndrome. You'll never see that. Yep, I've seen it. You know, so there's a lot of different things out there that has has bone loss. And do you cover that in the book? Things that you want to rule out. You do. Yeah. So people, you can physicians, clinicians, you know, and, you know, just the consumers listening to this podcast. Yeah. You just, the, the book is a, is such a treasure for these, um, less common, less no, common, but potential issues. Yeah, potential issues yeah. that are not that uncommon. And, um, but what I'm, you know, I want people to, to know that you can use these laboratory tests as therapeutic targets. They can identify things that we're going to say, okay, this is off. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to address something and fix it. Because then you can use that nutritional um, input to say, I'm going to get that homocysteine down. I'm going to improve that whatever, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and then you see it improve. You go, oh, right. I'm on the right track. Here. Well, and, and yeah, and, and your, your patient is really excited about it. Okay. So let's go back to this to this person who's not going on meds, but they've got a pretty, pretty aggressive osteoporosis. You're going to start them on a nutrition protocol. What, what does that look like? Uh, well, first, if they have a gluten issue, obviously they're gluten-free. How often have... do you find that? And, and how do you diagnose gluten sensitivity versus celiac? Uh, well, I guess I look at anti-tissue transcriptaminase, and if it says it's celiac, it's celiac. You know, if it's, if it's about 20 or so, they're probably celiac, 2025, something like that. If, they're, if that's a two and their anti-gliadin antibodies are 30, then yeah. sensitivity, they're still coming off of gluten. I don't care if they're, if they're you know, if their anti-tissue transcontaminase is a two and their gliadin antibodies are 15, 12, they're still coming off of gluten. Gluten causes bone loss, not just from a disruption of the endocytes of the villi in the gut, so decreased absorption, but it also causes bone loss because any, any, anything that ramps up the immune system is going to ramp up the osteoclasts because the osteoclasts are a form of a white blood cell. They are derived from the hematopoietic stem cells the same as the white blood cells are. So you get on the macrophage monocyte cell line from the hematopoietic stem cells is the osteoclast. Well, same as the white blood cells. So the white blood cells talk to each other through pro-inflammatory cytokines, interleukin-1, interleukin-6, tumor necrosis factor, uh, interleukin-17. Every time they talk to each other with those cytokines, the osteoclasts are listening. They're saying, sure. ah, there's something going on. Information for me. <laughs> I'm all excited. I'm going to, and I know what to do is eat things. And I <laughs> eat everything and that's bone. So just like 
just like macrophage it's like a macrophage yeah well, munching a, a bone specific macrophage i think you know if if people wanted to know one thing they came away with on this that's what i would say look what a macrophage does look what an osteoclast does they're both eating things and they're both related and they yeah. both same exact language so anything and, those macrophages you know dysbiosis your gut you're mm -hmm. gonna uh, well, this circles back to your original point about everybody being vulnerable for osteoporosis or for bone loss to one extent or another. I mean, because everybody's struggling. Infl inflammation is de rigueur, you know, certainly in this country and, you know, around the, really around the world. And, and you know, and, and unfortunately, just as we age, unless we're really mindful of it, you know, for really intentionally living, inflammation will increase and, and that correlates with bone loss. That's why I like estrogen too, because estrogen yeah. is an immune system modulator. It, it it calms down the immune system, but it's also helps with mechanotransduction. So so, for example, you know the reason why atherosclerosis and osteoporosis are related is because um, angiogenesis and osteoporosis are related because you get poor capillary uh, health and you get a poor um, endothelial glycocalyx, you're going to have the same, there's the same system in bones. You have a glycocalyx in the, um, in the dendritic connections between osteoclasts and between osteocytes. And if those just the same as in the endothelium in the vascular system, if that glycocalyx is de degraded, you're probably going to have a degraded uh, glycocalyx in the same dendritic system in the osteocytes, and now they're not going to be able to talk to each other, and they're not going to be able to talk to the osteoblasts. So the mechanotransduction, so you can exercise all you want, but that mechanotransduction is not going to get the message to the osteoblast, and the person's not going to have osteoblastic activity from the exercise they do. So oh. looking at a person's uh, vascular system health is, is another way to go. And, and what do you do? What would you recommend for imaging? Um, well, for imaging, if, well, for imaging, I don't, because I don't really do that, but I would do laboratory tests. Let's say a person has a discordance on a hip. Let's say their left hip is a negative 2.8 and their right hip is a negative 3.4 neck. Well, it's a little weird. Maybe they're having a vascular issue. Maybe the vascular issues is causing a discordance. Between right. So I might do a, um, an ADMA uh, or um, doing the different things we can do for nitric oxide, um, looking at the triglyceride, uh, HDL. Interesting, fascinating. Wow, okay, so ADMA, asymmetric dimethyl arginine, and then looking at a lipid, sort of a complex lipid panel. So you get an idea of what's happening in that arena that could be actually influencing the hip differential. And, and if they have, you know, um, a liver issue. You might have fatty liver. I mean, fatty liver is just rampant. Yeah, yeah. yeah very common. That might be an issue that, you know, 70% of the, the, um, the liver uh, blood flow is from, gathered from the gut. So you have dysbiosis, that's going to screw up that. You have fatty liver, that's going to, you know, screw up red blood cell uh, production, things like that. So all these things are connected. 
and I keep getting away from your. I know from my original question, but it's really interesting. You know, it's funny, Keith. I, I, we, we used to do this all the time when I talked to you in the lab. This is very familiar, but it's really interesting. All right. Well, I have to ask you a question in this arena. Like I have, you know, thinking about the endothelial glycocalyx and the bone glycocalyx, like, you know, there's some cool seaweed products out on the market now for the endothelial glycocalyx. Would you consider that in a bone intervention? Definitely would. And, and also with the um, gamma and delta tocotrienols. Uh, but yes, uh, the, that seaweed, I, I can't remember what it's called. That, yeah. Arterosol is, is, is one yeah. of them, but yeah. And any of these nitric oxide boosters, you know, are yeah. going to pomegranate. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, All right. So let's go back to our patient. Let's go back to our patient. Okay. So, so we know <laughs> that's really interesting. I know uh, other people are into it, but yeah, let's, let's walk through putting together. All, a protocol. I, got, all I got to was decreasing their, their gluten. Uh, their their gluten. <laughs> We're taking them off gluten. <laughs> that's all I got to. Um, but I would make sure that they're getting vitamin D because vitamin D is okay. going back to the basics, making sure yep. they get D, the, the magnesium, vitamin K, you know, uh, what does vitamin K do? It carboxylates or activates the osteocalcin. And what's osteocalcin? It's produced by your bone cells. That is a protein that essentially is a nucleator for the hydroxyapatite crystal. And um, you must activate that for the crystal to form. So I usually say 500, 700 micrograms of K2MK4, 50 to 100 micrograms K2MK7, probably 500 to 1,000 of K1. If you do that, there's enough uh, carboxylation of osteocalcin going on. So that's that's awesome. the um, protein. Protein is huge. As people get older, they do not eat enough protein. Uh, yeah. So you know, uh, was it 1.2 grams per kilograms or something like that? But you or know, even I, more. Yeah. I usually say at least at least 70 grams a day. And um, what type? I like hemp protein, pea protein, uh, whey protein. Hemp's a really good one, um, uh, but you know, just regular food too. You know, sar uh, sardines, great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Salmon. Fish, salmon. You know, so yeah. Do you stay away from animal protein um, because of for any reason, or just you don't consume it? Are you? Mm -hmm. I think you might be vegetarian. Are you? I eat roadkill, Karen. Oh, you eat road. Oh, you eat anything. Oh, you eat roadkill. That's what. That's your secret. <laughs> that's your secret to succeeding at those triathlons. You're out there like yeah. chowing on the roadkill. No, I don't eat. <laughs> I said don't. Eat, I, I can't a possum. I can't remember the last time I had beef. So um, I don't eat pork. I don't eat beef. Um, I don't recommend them. But but no, uh, fish, chicken's fine. Shrimp. Okay, so we're increasing the protein. We're pulling them off the gluten. Um, uh, salt is a big deal. I have so many patients who come in, they're very proud that they're on a low salt diet. That's not good. If a person's too low on salt, that's, that's detrimental to bone too. You need some salt, but obviously too much salt increases the re release of calcium in the urine. Um, so I, I, I watch, I look at that, the sodium level in their, in their C CMP, make sure that that's okay. And uh, what, where, 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 where do you like to see it just within... No range, but if it's below 134, that's an issue. Yeah. So, um, okay. um, what about potassium on a CMP? What's a good potassium for you? I guess I don't look, well, I just make sure it's in the reference range, but I don't look to see if it's high or low. 
if it is high load, then that's an issue. But what I do look at is the person's first morning urine. And if okay. that, that's a 5.5 all the time, then I boost them up and I say, listen, uh, I, I haven't taken electrolytes. I have this product called uh, Austrian Mineral Whey and it's, and it's the mineral part of goat whey. So mm -hmm. they wow. goat milk and they get a, a gallon of minerals and it's great alkalinizer. It, it um, is, it's not very good, high in magnesium, but it's high in calcium, potassium and biogenic sodium. So it's really the, 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 so it's really alkalinizing and I have them take that every day. And if that doesn't improve, you know, besides their increase in vegetables, you know, green, green leafy vegetables and stuff, uh, then I have them take potassium citrate or bicarbonate. Okay, and by the okay. And I, and I will link on your website, I was gonna bring this up after we moved through the protocol, but Dr. McCormick has a beautiful line of supplements. Uh, and I know some of the protocols you're leaning on your products, Osteo Naturals. Um, and we'll, we'll, you know, again, we'll put, we'll pop it in the show notes, but okay. So yeah, so I just, ahead. I just make sure that they're, it, it, like I said, if their pH is really low, I want to get up to 6.5. Um, uh, and then, so the potassium really helps to do that. And you're measuring pH how? Just, just for the urine. You know. okay. okay. So, so there's a hydration membrane around bone. And so all day long, people were breaking down their tissues and at night they go into repair and a lot of hydrogen is produced the acidic hydrogen ions and so you need to buffer the alkalinized buffer those hydrogen ions and there are your four minerals is besides breathing that does it uh getting rid of the carbon dioxide you magnesium potassium sodium and uh calcium those are your alkalinizing minerals so they there's a hydration membrane filled with the sodium and potassium that surrounds our bones that's actively tapped by your body to buffer those hydrogen ions. But if that hydrogen, uh, if that hydration membrane is not replete with potassium and sodium, if we go to the parathyroid hormones, parathormones release, that uh, stimulates the osteoclast to break down bone to mine the calcium, magnesium to buffer the, the pH. Wow, interesting. So make sure that that does not happen. Right. And I'm not okay. saying urine calcium is the best best uh, way to do it. It's the only way I kind of know what to do. And it's not perfect, but at least it's something that helps. Do you have recommend people start their day with some electrolytes then? Not necessarily start their day, but for sure, you know, taking electrolytes, uh, you know, trace minerals and, um, you know, but yeah, I think... Uh, electrolytes are, are very helpful trace minerals. So this person again has pretty severe osteoporosis. What is what are going to be some of the workhorse nutraceuticals you're prescribing, and how do you dose them? If they have, and what type of calcium if you're going to use calcium? Yeah, go ahead. Yes, I, I don't care on calcium, but I don't like calcium carbonate, uh, calcium malate chelate, calcium bislysinate, calcium citrate. They're all fine. Calcium tartrate. Um, if they have uh, a high CTX, I for sure put them on resveratrol, quercetin, at least 200 milligrams of each, uh, alpha lipoic acid, 300 milligrams, berberine, 300. Uh, uh, N-acetylcysteine is great for, for uh, helping the estrogen work. Um, and, um, uh, you know, for antioxidant, 
And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring down the oxidative stress because that's what's going to promote the osteoclast. But the alkylipoic acid and cysteine berberine, those really, really help. Um, um, fish oil, really good way to go. Um, um, like I said, the, you know, calcium, magnesium, I usually say three, 400 milligrams of magnesium, trace minerals, the, the um, calcium, I usually only do 500, 600, 700 milligrams of calcium max, because okay. I want to get their calcium through their food. I want yeah. to, um, I, I, I sell a calcium supplement, but I often tell people, don't buy it. I want to <laughs> eat your sardines, I want to eat your greens, and you, I want you to try to figure out how much you're taking. If you're getting 1,200 milligrams, then you don't have to take it. But if you're not, and a lot of people don't do any dairy at all, they, they're probably going to have to take it because um, it, it is hard to get 1,200 uh, with, with, with no dairy at all. But I push people for like kefir, is a goat kefir is super because people can eat uh, goat much better than, than cow. Uh, lots of minerals, lots of um, uh, uh, protein. Um, it's, you know, lots of probiotics in there. Uh, sauerkraut, kimchi, all those things are great for the gut. So, you know, gut health is so prime in, in improving the uh, person. You know, so that person we're talking about that has a negative 3.3, if they have, you know, poor gut health, I'm going to attack that gut health. You know, really, that's well, wouldn't you say that's probably de rigueur, like poor gut health and osteoporosis? I would, I would, I would imagine most of, if not all of your patients. Well, well that's yeah. true. 90% of them. Yeah. 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 Um, and I just wanted to point out to the listeners who might, you know, be thinking about the dosing, you're pretty modest with your with your dosing, like for instance, berberine is routinely prescribed these days at, you know, 1500 milligrams and you just, you recommended three thinking about the mechanism for bone. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, because they, they, they talk to each other. You know, the berberine helps the, the alpha lipoic acid do its job and the taurine in there really works way better when you do it with these other things. So, and these people are going to be on it for long-term. I don't want somebody on berberine 1500 milligrams for for years, you know, so it's okay to do berberine that long if you if you're working on a gut issue. But we're going to work on that gut gut issue in other ways besides the berberine problem. So they're on that for for a while. So yes, it is low dose stuff. And that's always been like that's always been your your approach. Um, what else do I want to ask? What uh, and lifestyle interventions for this patient? What kind of exercise are you going to prescribe? Are you going to prescribe? You know, vibration plates like the OsteoStrong protocol that, that some people are using as well. And like, so what are the lifestyle pieces in general, not just exercise? The more exercise they do, the better. The more time, what type? The more times that they exercise is better. So you don't want a person exercising three days a week, an hour and a half each time. I want them to exercise six days a week, you know, for 30 minutes. And regular walking doesn't cut it, you know, either really brisk walking, but also you have to do weights, weights and squats and, you know, split squats and regular squats, but making sure that that back is protected because you put too much weight on that person and they really can break. Um, but light weights, I really always advocate that people um, uh, hook up with a PT or trainer because it is so yes. easy. 
And there's nothing worse than being all excited and wanting to do exercise to help your bones. And then a week later, you break something because yeah. you didn't know what you're doing. So um, flexion is dangerous. Extension is a good way to protect yourself. So, so anytime you flex and twist or just flex that spine, you're putting tremendous amount of pressure on the anterior part of the vertebra. And that's how you're going to get a wedge fraction. Um, so, uh, but yeah, uh, progressive resistance and uh, high intensity training helps, but only under the guidance of somebody who's watching your, your, the way you're bending and stuff. Um, yep. Vibration plates, I think, have their place. Uh, they do not take over uh, the place of exercise. It's a vibration plate is in addition to exercise. And the more you stimulate those uh, osteo osteocytes to uh, stimulate the osteoblasts, the better it is. That vibration helps, but we also have to make sure that that endocalyx and you know that glycocalyx is is healthy. You're not going to get anything out of this. So it's a two. I always think of exercise as a two-phase thing. Making sure that that person has, you know, good glycocalyx ability, that they're, they're um, a good ability for the osteocytes to make that mechanotransduction. And that's one of the reasons why I push for estrogen a lot of times, because estrogen helps improve that mechanotransduction. So that stimulus of the exercise to the osteoblast to build bone. Estrogen helps that. And, um, Doing a low dose estrogen is is not dangerous. Bioidentical low dose estrogen with you know a patch or cream, and making sure that a an estradiol level only has to be twenty to thirty picograms per mL to do its job as far as maintaining bone density. You're not going to really improve bone density with the estrogen, but you're going to help maintain it. Awesome, that's great. What about testosterone? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't use CHEA, CHEA, but yeah, go ahead. Use CHEA, but, but I don't use the testosterone. And the reason why is because I think that's just changed into the estrogen is estrogen is where it's at. So uh, I think there was a push like 10 years ago for testosterone. I don't see that as much. I've never seen it uh, promoted in, in the literature that much. So I don't think it helps. Mm -hmm. And years ago, when we talked you were not interested in high dose K2, as was used in, I think, a couple Japanese studies, and that, and you actually said that it, I think, it could, had the potential to suppress testosterone. That's um, right, because um, you need undercarboxylated osteocalcin for testosterone production, for for uh, insulin production in the pancreas, for other other things in the body, and so. When you do too much vitamin K, it's yeah. too pharmacological, and you, I think you can mess up other things. You need a balance between the carboxylated and the undercarboxylated osteocalcin. That's so fascinating. Like many things exist in that U curve, you know, the sweet spot you want at the bottom of the U, not too little, not too much. Um, what about, you know, you talk about cortisol in your book in a variety of, of ways, the stress response, even in, in, in inherited um, what about, you know, yoga, meditation? I mean, what about, what are some of the lifestyle things that you think are essential for bone health? 
Definitely. I mean, cortisol increases, DHA decreases, cortisol increases, and and estrogen, testosterone decrease. So, sure, that's a big part of this. And and any stress, whether it's physical or emotional stress, is going to hurt your bones. Um, nothing worse than than cortisol for for boosting osteoclastic activity. You know, it definitely does a great job in that. And and hurts your osteoblasts and hurts hurts osteocytes kills is uh, increases osteocyte uh, death so uh -huh. all those are important lifestyle changes for sure. What about toxins? You know, what about persistent organic pollutants? What about you know leaning eating organic, avoiding glyphosate, glyphosate, et cetera, et cetera? What about yeah metals? Obviously lead, endocrine disruptors or big. Yeah. Uh, decrease in yep. So I really push our organic um, foods, and um, you know, even where a person lives, you know, they do have to kind of, you know, that's a hard thing to change. Obviously, yeah, yeah. we do have to be aware of that kind of thing. And yeah. but the best we can do most time is is organic foods. And when you go for your run, you don't go run by the freeway. I, you know, it's remarkable how many people do. I mean, well, it's really remarkable. And I ride bikes all the time, so I'm in yeah. the traffic all the time. But I try to ride on, you know, low traffic roads. You know, yeah. not so I don't get run over, but so I don't breathe the stuff too. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Um, and we've covered a lot, and I know everybody will get your book. I think, what you know, I don't know. We, we're, we're, I guess we're, we're really wrapping up here. I just, I mean. I think that this ultimately there's a lot of hope in your message. I mean, even if you need meds, it's going to be for a finite period and you're going to do all of the underlying work that you outline and right. people get, people can get better. And you're a testament, like you can get better and get on with your life and you can go do Ironman, you know, some people, probably not all, but. No, you're right. The, the medication business, the medications are not bad. They're just bad. Yeah. And they're used long-term when by a lot of physicians and and there's no they're not addressing the other parts about the person's body you know they're not addressing their their liver health their vascular health their just overall health their protein intake their their nutrition intake they're not addressing that they just do the drugs and they they leave them on them for long term well that's not what should happen but doing the medications short term if they're necessary they're okay to do it but am I a big proponent of, of drug therapy? No, but I am a proponent of using them when we have to, to get a person emergency medicine, getting them out of that hole so they're not going to fracture. And then we keep them out of the hole with doing the right things that we're going to do nutritionally and exercise wise in, in that way. But that's awesome. But, and we do this all by looking at therapeutic targets. We, we do all these lab tests. We look for things we can fix. And we attack those things in the way, you know, most of the listeners, you know, are, are, are going to know how to do, you know, yeah, and yeah. they don't have to know specifically about osteoporosis. And that's what the, you know, the beauty of this whole thing is, you know, everybody knows how to look at it as CBC and fix, you know, things on the CBC, fix things as CMP. Well, when you fix those things, you're going to help work on their on their bone Absolutely. Health. Yes. And we're good in functional medicine at dealing with underlying inflammation and gut health, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, 
it makes sense that you're going to be, you know, addressing bone health with all of those foundational functional interventions. We, there's a lot more that you cover in the book. The book is, again, 700 pages long, folks. So there's many supplements we didn't cover today. And I know some of you are, are wishing that we had talked about, you know, strontium or, or boron or some of the other things. And we could go on and on about them or biotin. Um, but do grab the book. It's, it's only, it's $40. It's going for $39.95. And it's just, this is a reference that you'll use um, for years and years to come. I, you know, like, how are you today? I mean, how is bone health for you and how carefully do you monitor it? I, I started off in negative 4.5 and I'm in negative 3.3 now. And I've been in negative 3.3 for 20 years. You know, and, so. But your trabicular strength must be pretty fabulous. The truth, I've never had a TBS done. You, know, you got to so. get it done. <laughs> There's no TBS in mass that I know of. You know, uh, right. Well, and clearly you're doing pretty well. You're not fracturing. <laughs> But no, I, I, I've never done a TBS and I would like to, um, but I just stay at negative 3.3. And, you know, I think everybody says it's natural to lose bone density. I'm, and I used to always believe that. And I used to always say that, but I'm not sure that's true anymore. Um, yeah. I'm not losing bone density. It's kind of stayed the same. I, I, I was a negative 3.3. 15 years ago, and I'm still a negative 3.3. That would scare some people and to be a negative 3.3. That would scare some people and, and, and hold them back from living as fully as, as you are. What, I mean, what would you say to that? Well, I think if you've been at a negative 4.5, then you're, <laughs> you're rocking. I'm rock, rocking. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, my CTX used to be really, really high. So mm -hmm. a person negative 3.3 with a normal ctx that's no worries. no worries usually but a negative 3.3 with a 800 ctx that's a worry yeah. so ctx can be used not just to say that person's losing bone density but it's going to also be used to say they have a high fracture risk so that ctx is directly related it's to essential yeah, and it's easy to do. Well, listen, Dr. McCormick, it was really great to talk to you today. I, it was fun tour de force in, in uh, you know, looking at all things, all things bone health. I really appreciate you coming on. I, I wish the best success to you. And well, and you're already out there in the world doing it, treating people around the world. I know you, you consult with folks around the world. So we'll link to everything in the show notes, folks. So just head over there and, and definitely, definitely um, buy his book. And thank I you. thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. As always, thank you for listening to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where because of my sponsors, I am able to bring you the best minds in functional medicine. And of course, today is no exception. Not everybody can be a sponsor on my platform. So I appreciate the good work, the relentless research and the generous support from my friends at Rupa Health, Biotics Research and Integrative Therapeutics. These are brands I know and trust in my own clinic, and I can confidently recommend them to you. Visit them at rupahealth.com, bioticsresearch.com, and integrativepro.com. And please let them know that you learned about them on New Frontiers. And if it's not too much to ask, I would really appreciate a thumbs up or a kind review wherever you're listening to New Frontiers. Thanks.